the Nightcast. On the edge of real and cyberspace, there's one place you can go. The Nightcast. www.knithtwise.com of real and cyberspace there's one place you can go and you found it welcome to the nightcast the one and only podcast that tunes tech into your way of life and lets the technology work for you my name's nightwise and for the coming 60 minutes or so i'll be your host on this episode of the nightcast kc0060 story time for more information and the show notes head on over to the website www.nightwise.com that's k-n-i-g-h-t-w-i-s-e.com where you'll find the links to everything we talk about and the nightwise.com media feed you can use this media feed to subscribe to all of the nightwise.com content the nightcast podcast and the kwtv screencasts and get them delivered to your favorite podcatcher automatically letting technology work for you if you want to get in touch with us, you can. Feedback at nightwise.com is the email address. And of course, you can find us on Twitter, twitter.com slash nightwise. You can look for us in Google Plus by looking for Nightwise or on Facebook, facebook.com slash nightwise.com. Hey, guys and girls, welcome to the edge of real on cyberspace. Welcome to another episode of The Nightcast. We are a little bit behind on our KWTV airing schedule, but that's because we're kind of doing a lot of stuff in the back end at the moment. I have been working hard on a new blog and on moving nightwise.com to another server, and I've also been jiggling around some hardware around the house to get myself a new and cool setup. I sold one of my iMacs and I am currently waiting to install a brand spanking new i7 Mac Mini with 16 gigabytes of RAM hooked up to two 24-inch screens, making it one hell of a server for both my OSX Lion server and the countless virtual machines that I'll be running on it. And we also my it'll also become my production machine. But at the moment. There's not much there. I just have my uh, trusty uh, MacBook Pro and two empty monitor arms because I don't got the screens yet and a little empty bay in my closet, uh, in my cupboard uh, underneath my desk because I don't have the Mac Mini yet and I'm a little bit tied down to what I have. So no um, very fancy screencast right now, just another great episode of the Nightcast. I mentioned something about blogs and I wanted to tell you about a new blog that I started at... um, joehendricks.wordpress.com we'll link in the show notes I've actually started a personal blog why? well, quite frankly because I wanted to split the content between the nightwise.com website for all you wise guys and wise girls and to, uh, you know, some other people who want to read some stuff on another website long-winded written articles on my personal blog Nice, entertaining stuff on nightwise.com. You can pick and choose. And today, as a little bit of a showcase, I'm going to bring you two blog posts that I read um, 
on my personal blog in this episode of Storytime. You know the drill. You close your eyes and say, unless you are in the car, you sit back, relax, and let me tell the story as you can just enjoy. You don't have to read. You just have to sit back, relax, enjoy the show, because we'll be back after these two stories, because it's story time. I was confronted with a very peculiar remark. In the office, you don't have your email client open all the time like the rest of your co-workers. When I heard this sentence, I had to turn it over in my head a couple of times. My initial reaction was one of defense, like somehow I'd been scolded or that there had been a vague insinuation that I wasn't working as hard as my co-workers because I did not spend all of my time in my email client. But as I sat down in the car for the drive home, I mulled the request over in my head over and over again and came to the conclusion that it was absolutely absurd. Not the remark itself, of course. It was a valent Cobbin to make. When somebody deviates from the norm, he stands out and his behavior is noticed by the rest of the group. It's a matter of common group dynamics. What, after some philosophical pondering, did surface was the absurd realization that email is considered a valid form of occupation these days. The more mails you answer, the harder you work. Somehow, in the crazy group mind of the cubicle work bee, the quantity of communication has become the norm of productivity, not the quality of that communication. Where does this bizarre mindset come from? If we take a look at our modern history, the roots of this uh, way of thinking can be found in the Industrial Revolution. Back then, workers had to come to the factory and produce X amounts of goods in order to meet their quota. As you are sewing together ladies' corsets or smashed a piece of raw iron into the shape of a bolt beneath a giant weld, the more pieces you churned out, the harder you worked. But those days have come and gone, and still their echo remains. As we march towards our office building and sit inside the cubicles of our conveyor belt of ideas, we try to find meaning in this landscape where we no longer produce anything tangible. I've been running around all day long and it feels like I didn't get anything done today. I take that all of you and all of us, including you and your boss, have murmured this sentence to their beloved at some occasion. It's a symptom of the fact that our technology has changed our way of working at a pace that our brain cannot keep up, keep up with. And I'm not talking about the pace of life or the speed of which we interact. I'm talking about the fact that we are no longer sewing together corsets, but are welding together abstract procedures, ideas, and workflows that no longer give us anything tangible to show at the end of the day. So, the human mind goes in search of patterns it recognizes in this new factory of thoughts. Numbers of meetings attended, numbers of calls received, I got 14 voicemails today, look at the 45 business cards I got at the conference, today I had over 150 emails to get through. Everywhere we can, we try to count 
the quantities of work to give us hold on this completely abstract work environment. So, how many emails does it take to be a good office drone? It's a valid question. Back in the 1900s, your foreman gave you a quota to meet. 500 bolts by the end of the day. And that would be something you could do. You could make the bolts, count the bolts, and show your foreman the bolts at the end of the day. Life was easy. You know, you knew when you were behind and had to speed up. You knew when you were ahead and could slack off a little. But these days, it's not like that anymore. But if quantity of emails processed is the new bolt, I challenge you to step up to your manager and ask for that quota. How many emails a day is the quota for a good office worker? The question is utterly absurd. But if we take a look at the way we seem to count our emails, it's a valid question nonetheless. If we all want to meet our quota, where does it end? Because you have to face it, if we all want to meet our virtual bolt quota, we need to push out some emails. So don't tap your coworker on the shoulder, email him, even if he's right next to you. And please, put as many coworkers in the CC field as you can. Because the good thing about email is that you can not only punch your, out your virtual bolt, you can also share your hard labor with your co-workers to keep them up to date. In the process, you send them virtual bolts to count. And on the end of the day, we are just one big emailing swarm of office bees that have produced a thousand virtual bolts apiece. But we didn't get anything done. There was a time where communication was a supportive process of the production process. And somewhere along the line, communication has become the goal on its own. And the one thing that makes me crack up when we think about this are lines like, I wanted to get so much done today, but all I did was trying to get through my emails. It's hilarious. Somewhere, handling emails has become more important than handling work. This can't be right, can it? So, if you want to step away from the virtual conveyor belt of bolts... Try reasoning with yourself the next time you want to hit send. Do I need to send out a message to the coworker that's sitting right next to me? If he is, or she, is within spitting, slapping, talking, shouting, or walking range, don't. It will do both your dilapidated physical condition and your deteriorating social skills some good to get the frack out of your seat and walk on over. I'll send them the email, otherwise he'll forget. That's a good one, too. Unless you are working in the Alzheimer office of terminal Alzheimer patients, there is a small but feasible chance that your co-workers are able to remember stuff you tell them. Unless, of course, you e we write everything down in an email and then swamp each other with emails. Yes, that will help, really. Perhaps it's your personal visit to his or her office or the sweat stains on your co-worker or the sweat stains under your arms that make your co-worker notice you and remember that uh, there was something that you asked him. I need to cover my ass. Oh, oh yeah, please. Let's go. Uh, let's all go. Uh, office Gestapo on each other by emailing every single detail to underline the fact that you trust absolutely nobody at face value. The fact that you need to send out every critical or non-critical event in an email also says a lot about how trustworthy you feel about yourself. There are important things that need to be formally communicated, 
but for the love of God, let's not bury ourselves in more demar- in more bureaucracy. Sorry, I don't have the time. I have a lot of emails to get through. That one even happens to me sometimes. But it's bizarre. Unless you work at a Russian spamming factory, doing emails is not your main task. To round it up, I can conclude with a simple logical deduction that even Spock would find enlightening. If we all spend less time doing email and more time getting things done, we will get less emails, and so the email spiral, that just sounds wrong, will be broken for all of us.
Grandpa, what's an IT guy? Just close your eyes a minute and imagine sitting in your rocking chair with one of your grandchildren on your lap. As she absently plays with her holographic Nintendo DS66, she asks you a very odd question. Grandpa, what's an IT guy? You look up startled, momentarily distracted from the Yahoo Tube video you were watching on your transparent digital contacts. You sigh, look at her, and start telling the story of the old days when they still had IT guys. Although this example may look like science fiction, the Yahoo YouTube merger is actually the more implausible factor in my example. The DS, the transparent contacts, and the question are one day to become very, very real. In my 15 years on the job, I've seen many changes in the landscape of the IT profession. From the time where single programmers wrote up an entire suite of bookkeeping software for a company, and holding that company ransom later because they were the only one who knew how it worked, to the aftermath of the dot-com bubble where everybody with a keyboard and a GeoCities account suddenly became webmaster or web designer. I remember the time where, where I pondered whether or not I needed to get my MCSE certification, or where I frantically tried to find the right pins on the motherboard to attach the cable of the power switch. In those 15 years, a lot has changed. Not only has my career moved along, I started out as a tech sales guy at a small computer shop, and I'm currently holding a position of demand manager for new technologies at a Dutch multinational, the landscape we've worked in has also changed dramatically. When I used to ponder about the future, I thought us tech heads would become the predominant group in the workforce of the future. As I saw IT technology grab hold of society and sink its digital teeth into the soft underbelly of our communities, I wondered how many techies it would take to keep it all running. Lots of them, right? But perhaps I was wrong. As I integrated, as IT integrated our daily lives more and more, the techies started to vanish. Where at first every company still had its own IT crowd, nudged away somewhere in the basement, yes, I've been there, and given the task of keeping the servers up and running while also taking care of the fish in the company pond, yes, I've been there too, the first generation of outsourcing was taking its toll. I've seen help desk departments go extinct, gradually replaced by outsourcing partners on the floor, and in time, I walked the floor of companies where they did not have any techies in-house whatsoever. Every server was housed somewhere in a data center. Every user was remotely supported. And once in a blue moon, you would see a nerdy looking guy with white patches around the knee section of their jeans linger around by the coffee machine. Only, those, only with those white kneecaps could you recognize a field engineer. The white kneecaps are a result of kneeling down on carpets a lot to fix computers of users. I, too, have been there. Coming from the age where the in-house IT guys were revered or hated by the entire company, but where everybody knew your name, it changed to a work floor where some strange kid you didn't know comes by to fix your computer. And you let him. But even the white kneecaps will start to go extinct someday. As we start using computers that don't open up anymore and use mobile operating systems that do not require reinstalling, the rollout of our system engineer the role of our system engineers is starting to dwindle away. 
as we slide down, or should I say ascend, into the world of cloud computers, their services and those of their brethren taking care of the service and data center are becoming obsolete. Hard disks fail? <clears throat> the data's in the cloud. Networks goes down? Well, I'll just plop in my 3G dongle. Laptop eaten by dog? I'll just pick up a fresh one. All I need to do is log in and configure my account. With the consumerization of IT, the second generation of outsourcing, the migration to the cloud, and the fundamental change of how we approach you and use technology, things will change for the IT guys. In my own career, I've found I've become a diplomatic liaison between technology and users, assessing their needs and seeing what can be used to meet their demands. Although I still have a technical background, it are more my communication skills and my creativity that help me find a solution than actually popping open a case and yanking out some wires. I, too, am a fallen angel that now walks between the users. My, ge my jeans are a deep, deep shade of blue, even around the, around the knees, and my hands are no longer scratched from the sharp edges of, of the insides of PC casings. As I look to the future, I wonder what interesting times lie ahead of us in the IT business. How our role, that I've seen evolving from bookkeepers to engineers, will go more and more into the realms of digital diplomats, where we wield knowledge and insights about technology we might no longer truly understand. I once said that a computer should be like a toaster, easy to operate and processing the simplicity of an appliance. As I punch in this blog post on my iPad, I realize that my prophecy has come true. My iPad is a toaster. It just works, and there's nothing to, to fix. And we don't need IT guys in the next room to fix a toaster. Or do we? The Nightcast. www.knithtwise.com Well, guys and girls, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Storytime, where I actually gave you a little bit of an insight into my professional career, and that's something I don't do very often on the Nightcast. I hope you'll have a great week. I hope you enjoyed the show, and I hope you let technology work for you. We will be back next week. Until then, you know where to go, www.nightwise.com for the website. Subscribe to the media feed or look for the Nightcast in iTunes. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash Nightwise, or find us on Google+. If you want to do something for the show, do something very, very easy to do. Share our RSS feed or our media feed with one of your friends. Recommend us, bring new listeners to the Nightcast or the Nightwise.com website. That's about all we have time for this week. Let technology work for you, not the other way around. And uh, see you next week. Bye. Thanks for coming to the edge of real and cyberspace. You have been listening to the Nightcast. Send your feedback, questions, promos, or rants to nightwise at nightwise.com or Skype us on Nightwise. For more information, visit the site on www.nightwise.com or look for us in iTunes by searching for the Nightcast. Please remember, there's a real world beyond cyberspace, but it's not all that important.
You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binrev.com. All Binrev projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Share Alike, 3.0 license.